Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Uh, today, we're joined by Zach Abbott, um, the founder at ZBiotics. So, Zach, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit uh, about what you're working on at ZBiotics. Yeah. Uh, so, ZBiotics... In a nutshell, we make genetically engineered probiotics. So basically, we take normal, uh, safe probiotic bacteria, and then we engineer them to do something very specific that can provide a, a useful benefit to the person uh, you know using that probiotic. So right now, typically, you know, people take probiotics for some sort of kind of undefined general gut wellness benefit. Um, and so the idea that we can essentially program into that probiotic something very specific that provides a very like tangible use case um you know uh, really kind of brings it up a level and so that that's generally what we're doing and so our first product um which is on the market which we launched in um uh august of 2019 um is actually the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic of any kind um and that probiotic is engineered to break down acetaldehyde which is the toxic metabolic byproduct of drinking alcohol that has the kind of you know, um, byproduct of making you not feel so great uh, the day after drinking. So the idea is that you would drink our probiotic before you drink alcohol, and then it helps your body deal with that acetaldehyde while you're drinking. Uh, and then you wake up the next day and feel better and able to get more done. Um, so that's just kind of one example. But the truth is that our company is really dedicated to the idea that we can program all kinds of useful functions into probiotics that can benefit people. So what was the what was the inspiration for for getting started here? Because this isn't you know I know we've had uh, a lot of people come on D 2 C Pod and this is definitely unique in terms of like the the bridge between um, you know genetic engineering and D 2 C products and all this sort of stuff. So why don't why don't you just tell us a little bit about the inspiration that got you started? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is you know pretty uh, pretty unique. Uh, as I say, we're the world's only genetically engineered probiotic, and I'd say we're one of a very small handful of genetically engineered products that are built specifically uh, for consumers uh, and, and sold direct to consumer. Um, in fact, you know, I, I can't even think of, I can't think of very many others. Um, yeah, and so you know, the inspiration for this is so my background is that I'm a PhD microbiologist, and then after doing my PhD. Uh, I was designing drug trials for, or clinical trials, I should say, for, for drug companies um, and big pharma. Um, and I had always had this idea kind of kicking around in my head uh, of using probiotics in sort of a more efficient or effective or directed way. Um, and, and I wasn't exactly sure how to apply that technology. But one of the things I learned both during my time in academia and then working for kind of like big industry was that there was a huge opportunity here to apply this technology in a way that 
a lot of people could have access to it uh, more quickly. And so um, I liked the idea of, of using this technology to build something for consumers um, to where they would have the opportunity to choose uh, genetic engineering, to choose a product that was built specifically for them so they could walk in and decide whether they wanted it or not. Whereas with like, if I was building a drug, um, you know, people are sick. They don't always have as much of a choice, right? They take the product, they take the drug because they need it to get better. Um, and there's not really like the same level of kind of like, like uh, choice or, or element of like, of like here are the costs and here are the benefits, right? Like it's just sort of like, I need this. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of engage people on this idea that we could make products that people really wanted and they were really specific. And I saw a huge opportunity there. Um, nobody else was doing it. Um, so anybody else who was using it, sort of a new technology, um, anybody else who's using it was sort of applying it to to drug applications. So I thought, what a, what a really cool way for us to kind of carve out a whole new niche um, in a wide open space. What is different from produce? What are, you know, first of all, that's, you know, that sounds like a product that is way harder to get off the ground than your traditional product. Finding a co-packer is already hard enough. Yeah. Um, you're genetically modifying a product. And on top of that, you're the, one of the first ones to do it. So you're paving the way you're, you know, you're going through the hard learnings um, to get it off the ground. What is what, what was different um, in this process of getting this product? You know, are there are there trials? Are there um, regulations? Are there things you have to go through permits and stuff like that? Um, especially if you're talking about shipping, etc. Like, what are some of the hurdles to to getting this off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you said, I think the things that you know you sort of like swept into the bucket of like uh, you know uh, business as usual, right? Like you know figuring out a in and all that stuff as a scientist, these are the things I really didn't appreciate how hard those were going to be. Like, uh, and in fact, and indeed like having a new product like ours, um, uh, was, it, it did sound to kind of complicate some of those, some of those things. Um, so for instance, like the fact that we have, uh, so one of the things when I was designing the product to kind of go on a detour, but I promise I'll bring it back to your question. Um, when I was designing the product was I wanted uh, I, I really envisioned like the, you know, when I first started building the product in the lab, uh, what that end product would look like and, and specifically what it would look like for the customer um, and the consumer, like how would they engage with this? And I really wanted something that was really simple for the consumer. So something that, that um, could be shelf stable at room temperature that um, was like a, you know, a simple formulation. So in our case, it's like a liquid beverage that you can drink um, and that, um, uh, that 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 was and something that was just prioritized being really easy to engage with, and so I used a bacteria that was like um, forms like this this dormant uh, endospore that makes it like super resilient, which means that like it's really great for manufacturing because it can tolerate like large swings in temperature and pH, and it, it can survive the acid of your stomach and and get into your intestines like uh, unharmed, and so all those things are really great about it. But the thing about it is that because it's so robust, it ends up being the case that a lot of co-manufacturers don't want to work with it because it actually is really hard to like clean from their equipment after after they're done running our products and so uh, if they want to run other products in the same equipment and so uh, I did not appreciate how much of a hurdle I was creating for myself in terms of like supply chain logistics when I chose this bacteria um, of course it has all these amazing benefits and I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it differently if I could go back but um, that was a huge challenge and I think something is r relatively specific to us 
um, in the fact that it's a live probiotic that is a unique strain to us. So like, even if I was, if I was making say a new probiotic process, uh, product where I was just taking white labeling, which is w basically every other probiotic company, white labels, probiotics off the shelf, right? They just like grab different strains that are in every other product and then they can sort of get their own maybe custom formulation or whatever, but basically are just kind of putting a new brand on it and selling it. Um, but since we had a new strain that we'd invented and patented ourselves that nobody else was manufacturing, we had to find somebody who was willing to like, take our product into their process. And that was really challenging. Um, uh, and so, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I jokingly say that we, in addition to having the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic on the market, I'm pretty sure we're the world's only uh, shelf stable at room temperature live probiotic beverage, uh, which is a ridiculous thing that nobody cares about from from a supply chain perspective. That was like really hard to create and took a lot of ingenuity as well. So that was one of the challenges we had to work through. And then in terms of like your question about regulations, um, yeah, I mean that was difficult in the sense that because we were the first, we were kind of had to figure out how we were regulated. And so we, you know had conversations with various regulatory agencies and, and, and consultants and sort of try to figure out where we fit in um, because there's a lot of different ways we could have gone. And, and ultimately, we were able to go um, to market as a, as a food product, as a generally recognized as safer grass food. Um, and so that's a relatively straightforward pathway. And, and the fact that we were genetically engineered required us to address that um, in all of our safety testing that we had to assemble for the grass dossier. Um, but all in all, the process was actually relatively straightforward for now. Um, so that was a good thing. Um, it took us a while to kind of find and that pathway and make sure that that was the right one for us um, and that we wouldn't have problems later. But yeah, there was no playbook to follow. We kind of had to we kind of had to figure out what we were going to do in in each of these situations. But overall, uh, it was mostly just kind of like I think learning the DTC biz like anybody else in a lot of ways. So Zach, why don't you take us back to um, the lab and some of the research that you were doing before? What was, um, you know, why hasn't anyone else tapped into this space in terms of like genetically engineering, um, you know, bacteria? So what are some of the challenges and what are some of the advantages that you had based on your experience, your research and um, all your work that allowed you to kind of suss out this opportunity? Yeah, I think in some ways, I mean, the short answer is that others are doing it. I just think that they didn't, they haven't been applying to the same opportunity or didn't see the same opportunity that I saw, which was the consumer space. Like, um, there are drug companies building genetically engineered probiotics for drug indications. And, um, and in academia, we've been engineering bacteria, including probiotic bacteria for a long time, just for the sake of you know, increasing our knowledge and understanding how bacteria operate. And, and that is my, that was my background, or I guess is my background is, um, is, uh, studying bacterial gene regulations. And so like understanding how gene regulation, so understanding how bacteria kind of switch from expressing some genes in the genome just to, to expressing others and, and all that is just very interesting, but of course, very academic. Um, and, but like, uh, in doing that, like kind of realizing how, how those insights could be applied to products, um, was something, I don't know, I guess I just always thought about, I've always been excited about the idea of having my science applied to kind of people's lives. Um, and so I think I was always looking at my research through that lens and my research was very different, um, than, than what Zbiotics is, but it was related in the sense that it was around bacterial genetics. And so I think it was just combining that expertise, um, that I was that I was gathering in my training with my desire 
to bring something to people. Um, and then, of course, the first thing I looked at, because it's the first thing everybody, when they're scientists, looks at is, is, okay, like, what drug can I build? Like, what disease can I cure? What problem can I solve, right? And um, and so I looked, like I say, into, into those sorts of things. And I think there's a lot of cool things that could happen. But as I researched that area, I saw that, like, I would then be competing with, you know, the likes of some pretty big drug companies and little old me might not be able to have a, a competitive advantage there. Um, and, you know, so and a lot of people are like that. And then they, they say, OK, well, I'll build something and then I'll sell it to them um, because they have like the firepower to basically bring a product from, you know, early kind of preclinical stage, like through all the clinical development and, and to the market. And so, um, so you say, great, like and you kind of throw it over the fence. But like for me, that wasn't like satisfying. I wanted to be more in control of, of the science and, and, and more in control of the messaging and, and bring it to people. And so I started to think about like, well, what about the consumer space? Is there things I could do with this technology that wouldn't be curing diseases, that wouldn't be a drug application? And when I looked around, there was nothing else out there. And I think that the reason for that is, getting to your question, is that we just aren't really trained to think that way. With, with new science, it's like always like, you know, what's the most severe thing that we can solve with this, with this new science? And, and then after that's all taken care of, then people start to look downstream and like, how do we translate that from clinics to, you know, grocery stores? Um, and like, what are the other opportunities? And so I think that I sort of was like, okay, well, like, I think, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit over here and there's like this wide open space of stuff and there's no reason why we couldn't do that. And so um, I took that sort of like cutting edge technology and I, and I applied it to, to kind of what, what people would call a pretty like, you know, low tier in terms of uh, urgency kind of use case. But ultimately, my excitement is for the idea that we can use this technology for all kinds of things. Um, and it doesn't have to be when you're dying of disease. Of course, that's a good thing, too. And there are companies working on that. But um, I think there's just so much opportunity for people kind of in the consumer space. I think that's so interesting because I think there is, you know, you know, of course, you know, all the money and research goes for, you know, finding the cure for cancer, etc. But there's a whole market probably in how about in preventing, um, you know, getting sick, getting to that point, um, even way earlier, right? Like if you if, if this helps with drinking, well, like, you know, when you're really hungover, you, you're dehydrated, which over long periods of times that causes other things and, you know, your nervous system gets affected, etc, etc. So I find that really 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 interesting i'm curious does this you know when you went to go to market you know your main tagline is that it helps for for when you drink i'm curious um is that a go-to-market strategy is that a marketing you know strategy we figure this out and then we go from there or is it or, or is the product just made for that no 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 we built a product specifically like, the whole point of this is that it's purpose built for each indication right so like we didn't find this and then like what can we do with it it was like I wanted to make a product that broke down acid. Like I went and I looked at like, okay, why do people have, like when I was sort of, when I, okay, yeah, to take a step back here, basically, if we're looking at like, when I was thinking about, okay, I'm gonna genetically engineer probiotic bacteria. And like, what function am I gonna, what benefit am I gonna create with this genetic engineering? And, and, um, and I thought of a lot of sort of, you know, first you think of like the drug use cases and stuff. And then um, it's like, okay, well, I, I don't wanna do those things. I wanna do something I can take direct to consumers. So then, all right, what are some benefits that are not disease states that I could have some benefit, uh, some effect on? And so then looking at those, I had some ideas that were not great ideas. Um, but I, you know, as an academic scientist, I thought they were cool, like around radiation exposure and things like that, that 
are really, really interesting, but that like your average consumer is not really thinking about on a day-to-day basis. Hey, the prepper market is a big one, I've heard. Sure. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe it's a missed opportunity. But I'll tell you, like the people I was telling no, it to were yeah, kind of yeah. like, uh, yeah, that yeah. Sounds, sounds interesting. I don't know if I would buy that. Um, and so, you know, but uh, it was interesting science. But then, you know, I had this sort of like list of other ideas of things I could do. And I just sort of brainstormed like stuff that, that kind of in our everyday lives just wasn't ideal or kind of sucked or whatever. And then like, is there something we could do about that? And, and one of the funny things I just thought about was like, well, like, you know, it's never fun. Like when you wake up the day after having, you know, a few drinks, like, and like, just don't feel good or like, you know, don't get enough done or whatever. And, and, and there's all, and to your point, I mean, there's all these misconceptions and like old wives tales about what you should do around like dehydration and, and, you know, greasy food and all this different stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of it's, obviously it's not that good right because otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about it we wouldn't be dealing with it like still right like the, this problem is not solved so i was just sort of interested as a scientist in like getting down to the root of like why is that why do we feel that way um and, you know what, what do we know and one of the interesting i found early on in my research into that was like just diving into the literature was that um the truth is that like it's a really complicated problem even though we think of something as it's, it's pretty frivolous it's like it's actually like from a biochemical perspective, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, it's not, there's not like this simple answer, like, oh, it's just dehydration. In fact, interestingly, it actually has nothing at all to do with dehydration. Alcohol doesn't even dehydrate you. It's a common misconception. It's a very mild diuretic, but like the amount of fluid you're consuming is like mass is, is completely offsetting that. And so you actually only pee one extra time when you're drinking alcohol, as opposed to if you're drinking the same amount of, of water. Um, so you're really not dehydrated at all. And it has nothing to do with it. Um, and there's, but there's all these other things, these endocrine imbalances and all this different stuff. But one thing I found that was really interesting was that acetaldehyde, um, is this super toxic metabolic byproduct of alcohol metabolism. And among other things, like that is one of the things that even though you're actually only exposed to a very small amount of acetaldehyde, um, it is one of the things that creates some of the worst kind of next day misery that you might feel. And there's all these other things that are happening that are, that are also kind of helping to paint that picture the next day. But I thought it was this big chunk and there really was nothing out there um, uh, addressing acetaldehyde, like nothing on the market and there's no, no solutions. And so um, that being said, your liver is actually very good at breaking down acetaldehyde using a simple enzyme, um, like a single biochemical reaction. So I thought like, that's a great target, right? That you could take a probiotic and program it to essentially do the same function your liver does to break down acetaldehyde um, faster or, or in a better location because a lot of the acetaldehyde actually initially forms in your gut. This is another thing that's like not appreciated. I'm sort of like, sorry, I'm getting into the science of our, of our, of our product a little bit here, but, um, I think it's, you know, this is sort of like how I thought about building this product was basically we learned that, um, you know, most of the alcohol you drink is processed in your liver and it's done very efficiently from alcohol to acetaldehyde and then from acetaldehyde to acetate and acetate is innocuous. Um, it's essentially vinegar and no problem. So that intermediate acetaldehyde that forms in the liver is almost all immediately converted to acetate super efficiently. And so that's actually not the major source of acetaldehyde, uh, that's causing all these problems that you're, that you're experiencing the next day. What's happening is that a very small amount of the alcohol you drink is actually broken down directly in your gut by your microbiome, by the microbes living in your gut. And most of that alcohol is broken down to acetaldehyde, but not subsequently to acetate. So actually the gut and the colon end up being the major source of acetaldehyde in the body. Um, and so um, colonic acetaldehyde concentrations is well established in the literature. Some of the, one of the things I found was interesting, which is sort of like what cued this idea was that like bacterial colonic uh, alcohol metabolism. So basically 
the bacteria in your colon breaking down alcohol is what forms most of the acetaldehyde in your body. Uh, uh, colonic acetaldehyde concentrations are five to 10 times higher than blood. But of course, eventually that acetaldehyde that forms in the gut is absorbed into the bloodstream. And then it sort of like wreaks havoc throughout the body and then your liver breaks it down. And so I was like, wow, this seems like a really sort of from a biochemical perspective, a pretty simple uh, thing we could potentially address, right? If we just take a probiotic that goes into your gut and it breaks down the acetaldehyde the same way your liver does, but does it in the gut before it's absorbed in the bloodstream, then we could have, we could potentially have a huge, you know, effect. We have a, a real key benefit. And so the product was like purpose built, um, with the idea that we could break down acetaldehyde and then specifically the benefit to the consumer for that would be that they would wake up and feel better the next day. Um, and so that was like what I set out to do when I like sat down on day one at the bench, when I started Zbiotics, like that was what I was set out to build. And the idea was that we could build that and we could prove that we could execute some sort of function with a probiotic and then create some sort of benefit. Right. And then, but the truth is that like using this same strategy of engineering new specific functions into probiotics, we could do all kinds of things to benefit people. It doesn't just have to be acetaldehyde. It could be literally anything. Um, and so. Uh, that, but anyway, that's kind of a, what I set out to do with the first product. And it was very specific. And to your point, uh, Ramon about that people are interested in their wellness, right. When they're not sick, um, was, was another insight, right. That we had, which was that like, yeah, people are willing to invest in their health before they get sick. And so building something that allows people. So for instance, with our first product, one of the things that we found after we built the product, um, that was that one of the key things that customers liked was not just that like uh they you know they could drink alcohol and not have to suffer any consequences because that it really isn't how the product works as i say sort of that next day is is all kinds of things um but what what it, what it now did drink people, twice as much more <laughs> yeah right and people people don't make decisions like that especially if you're investing in a product to make you know like um to to help you uh, deal with this problem, right? Like you're already conscious of the fact that you have, like, you probably have stuff to do the next day. Um, and so you're not like, oh, great. Now I can just like, you know, it's a get out of jail free card. That's, that's really not how the product works. And that's not how people engage with this more that people, those drinking events are going to happen anyway, right? It's that, it's that Friday happy hour with your friends or your coworkers, or it's that wedding or, or whatever it is that's going to happen. And then the next day you have, you still have all the things in your normal life that are really important to you. And, and in particular, um, people who have a lot of healthy routines, like morning workouts or uh, morning exercise or, or going out with friends on, uh, you know, for a hike on Saturdays or whatever that might be. And those healthy habits they have the next day are actually what's really important to them. And that's the value proposition that Zbiotics that really resonates with people about Zbiotics is, is not so much the drinking activity itself. That's, that's sort of like uh, an inevitable thing in, in terms of, of, of social interactions. It's, it's more all the healthy habits you have the next day that you don't want to have to sacrifice when on the, the days that you end up having a, a couple of drinks the night before. Um, and so people are willing to invest in kind of their health and wellness um, with this product. And, and that, that was like a huge insight we had after we built it. Like I, originally I just thought I was solving a problem, which we are, but I didn't appreciate um, like in what way it resonated. And it's really that it's that people really want to invest in their healthy habits and all the things they work hard to, to build up every single day. Um, and so with future products we're building they're they're definitely focused in kind of that arena of like making healthy people healthier, um, as really a kind of like an opportunity. Yeah, Zach, um, one thing that is really funny about Zbiotics and, and me personally is the fact that, um, so I am part Asian, my mom's from Singapore and I got the unlucky 
um, or like whatever you want to call it, uh, gene where my body doesn't break down alcohol into to, um, or it doesn't break down the acetaldehyde fast enough, right? So I get flushed when I drink and I really don't drink that much because it's just not a, a fun experience. So um, it's just really cool. And I've, I've tried it when it, it, and for me even, it's like, if I have one drink, I'll feel like literally one drink, I'll feel like crap the next day. So a lot of times I don't do it. So um, one thing that's been fun in, in terms of like trying out the Z-Biotics is the fact that it really tempers that and targets that exact thing that like my liver literally doesn't have the enzyme to break down. Um, so that's a cool use case. Maybe even down the line in terms of like marketing, maybe that's a whole market you could go after. Like people who, who don't have that, uh, that enzyme would be a huge benefit to them. But, um, and so when it actually comes to like engineering, you guys clearly had the concept of like, okay, here's a problem that we want to go after and solve. Here's something that we think we can engineer and do. Um, what does like, cause not every D to C brand is out there doing genetic engineering. So maybe for our listeners who don't like quite understand it like what does it literally take like what are you doing in the lab when you're doing genetic engineering like what does that look like <laughs> yeah yeah so interestingly like uh you know uh genetic engineering is it, i think it sounds more technical than it than it really is um in, in a lot of ways I, I mean it's really i especially in this you know at the state of the field now um you know in general what we're doing is actually just leveraging um the bacteria's natural ability to edit its own DNA, which it does and has evolved to do over the last 3 billion years, much longer than plants uh, or animals have been around. Bacteria have been exchanging and, and editing their DNA for a long time. And so they're really good at it and they can do super precise changes. So when you think about like plant crossbreeding, right? Like you take, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, a plant with white flowers and a plant with red flowers, and then you cross them together with the goal of getting a plant with pink flowers. You're trying to like basically transfer genetic information between those two plants until you get something that comes out the way you want it. But the truth is it's a total black box. You have no idea what's happening in there. Um, you're just sort of like mashing their DNA together and hoping that in all the different kind of recombination events that happen all over all of the DNA and all the chromosomes in the plants, genome that like somehow in addition to all the other things that might be happening we hope also that flower color like flower pigment is also like recombined in the right way right so it's like i hope that works and like that was like the extent of our ability to genetically engineer until you know basically like 40 years ago um and so you know in, in like the 16 1700s that's how we genetically engineered plants or genetically engineered anything right it was just like using plants and so but plants are like newbies to the genetic swapping game right like they plants are you know, 2 billion years younger than, um, than bacteria. Bacteria are like way better at it. Um, and so bacteria can like do various different mechanisms, like basically like take up DNA super precisely, like splice in exactly like one gene for another, like a, an exact base pair location. So you can, and so you can maintain the rest of the genome exactly the same. And so we leverage these things that the bacteria already have evolved to do. So for us, it's really just about like, designing what we want um like and just by like using the using the computer basically looking at like and saying like okay like here's a gene that we want like it, it encodes the enzyme that breaks down acetaldehyde um and we want that to go into a bacteria and we want the bacteria to be able to express that gene uh you know really robustly make a lot of that protein and um and, and make it you know at, at a given time or make it all the time or whatever um and so um, we can then just choose where we want in the genome to put it, and then we can design a piece of DNA, and then that DNA can be just synth synthesized like in a test tube. Um, and then we take that DNA, and we can literally just mix it 
with the bacteria. And then the bacteria just naturally take up the DNA, do all the swapping themselves, repair their genome, and then, uh, you know, at some small frequency of events, right? But it's a numbers game of bacteria. There's a lot of bacteria. Um, and so um, some small frequencies of time that will happen. And then, and then we just select for the occasion where it did. And we, and we take that, that bacteria that, that was able to kind of do its own kind of genetic editing, basically with us providing it with the DNA we wanted. Um, and so it's, it's actually pretty easy. I literally just take one liquid and mix it with another and like, you know, shake it for, you know, a day at like 37 degrees. And then like, voila, like I had, like the bacteria did all the hard work. And so it sounds like, like that can't be genetic engineering because people are picturing like, you know, like, like tweezers and like DNA and like, it's, it's not how that works, you know? And so, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you just kind of have to understand how bacteria regulate their genomes. And really the art is in designing that piece of DNA that you want manufactured, um, like, uh, on the computer. I mean, that's, that's really like, kind of like the art of it. No, that that's really cool. And then the, the next question I'd have is in terms of like testing this. So now you've like formulated, you're like, okay, here's the gene we want to go after. We're going to, here's how we're going to actually attack it, engineer it. Now you move to the testing phase. So how do you like test and validate that this is something that's like working, um, before moving on to like putting it in a consumer packaged good? Totally. Like, like, yeah. Cause like why bother going through all the trouble to engineer it and then like go through the trouble of like commercializing this like totally new thing and getting a new grass, uh, you know, submission and all that kind of stuff. If it's not going to work, right? Like, cause if it's not going to work, then I can just sweep the same vitamins into a bottle and slap a brand on it that everybody else is doing. Right? Like, so why bother go through it unless you know it works? And, and that, that was really important to us, right? That like, I wasn't going to go through all this effort if we didn't make something that actually was better than what else was out there. And so we really wanted to make sure it was validated. So the first thing we do, of course, is like, so after we do, you know, we do the engineering and, you know, really like asterisk, see bottom of the page, bacteria do their own engineering. Like we, um, we take that product, uh, that probiotic bacteria, and then we just test it um, first and foremost in a test tube, in a lab and just say like, okay, the function it was supposed to do was create this enzyme and this enzyme is supposed to break down acetaldehyde. And so we can test to see that it's making the enzyme. Um, and then we can test to see that if we like mix our bacteria with acetaldehyde, um, that indeed we, it gets rid of the acetaldehyde and it creates acetate, like exactly as it's supposed to. And of course the unedited version of the bacteria won't do that. And so we just, you know, we do those simple tests and then, okay, great. So we have a bacteria that we've confirmed does what it's supposed to do. It makes this enzyme and this enzyme is functional and um just like just how we expect it to do and so then there's all these things that we could do to validate like kind of in like in between stages and if you're developing a drug you would do these sort of like little little incremental advances until you kind of were like absolutely positive about mechanism of action but in reality if you're making a consumer good what you really care about is is at the end of the day regardless of anything else if we give you a bacteria that can break down acetaldehyde will it actually make you feel better um, and like, that's really like the, the key question to ask. And so, um, at that point, that's basically for us, what, what we went to was that like, uh, we are making a consumer good. And so we want to know how consumers are going to respond to this product. And so, um, the first time, uh, was the first person to test it was of course me. Uh, and so I took this, I had this probiotic and I confirmed that it breaks on acetaldehyde. Um, and so then I basically took the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic ingested it. Like, I think I was the first human to at least documented to ingest a, a genetically engineered probiotic intentionally. And then, uh, I drank, I wrote myself like a protocol of the amount of alcohol that I would drink that I know would make me feel not so great the next day. And then, uh, so I, I followed that protocol and, you know, hand wrote out like, you know, minute by minute, like, you know, took a, glass you know drink a glass of red wine and then like drink a beer and like you know like uh, wrote all that stuff out and 
Um, and I won't go into the details, uh, but you know, suffice it to say it was sufficient for the testing. Um, and uh, I woke up the next day and, um, and it was cool is that like, as I said, like sort of like the things you feel the day after drinking, there's a lot of different stuff. Um, but what was really cool was that like when I woke up the next day, what I felt was exactly what I would have predicted on paper. I felt like I felt the things related to alcohol um, and sort of and some of the other uh, effects, but I didn't feel the things that like are, are, tr are traditionally attributed to acetaldehyde. And so, um, you know, notably I was able, I felt groggy. I didn't get great sleep. Um, those are things that alcohol itself does to your brain. Um, but you know, the good thing was that I was able to have like a breakfast and, uh, you know, a cup of coffee. And I was basically like felt great by like 10 AM, which is just not how that morning should have gone for me. So I was super excited about that. That was sort of like test number one. Obviously, that's an N of one and, and a very biased subject, right? But um, so then we want to expand out. And so we had other people kind of like um, uh, test the product and, and tell us how they felt. And then um, basically, but we moved down and then we got we sort of like our grass certification because we were very confident at this point that like we had something was was worth kind of pursuing. But then, of course, before we launched it, we really wanted to know how people were going to respond. And so we did sort of like two different kind of tests. And, and one, we asked people kind of like how they felt um, well, I should say like the, the most important was that we asked people basically like there were lots of AB tests and different things we did, we designed to do. But, um, at the end of the day, what a consumer is really going to care about is like, regardless of whether or not the product definitively works, does a consumer like take the product? Like, cause most people are going to write, they're going to, they're going to see your products, like see some advertisement on Facebook or something. They're going to buy the product. They're going to try it. And then, and then they're going to decide for themselves whether or not they like it. And, that, and that's, that's how they're going to do it. They're not going to do like controlled A-B testing or anything like that. And so regardless of, of what benefit it, it actually creates, does a consumer perceive that it creates a benefit for them? Um, and so we wanted to see what, what people responded with that. And so one of the things we did was just gave people the product um, and then asked them the next day if they felt better than expected, the same as expected, or worse than expected. Um, and the vast majority of people, 95% of people um, said that they felt better than expected. Um, and so that was great. There was a super high perception of efficacy. Um, and then, um, you know, when we launched the product and, um, you know, we've collected consumer data and, and those, that number continues to hold that like with super high customer satisfaction um, and, and, and perception that the product is providing them with some kind of benefit, which ultimately is the endpoint that we're looking for when we create a consumer product um, is that people like the product and they're they're getting a benefit. They 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 feel that they, like we know that they're actually getting a benefit, but do they do they know they, or do they believe that they're getting a benefit? Um, and the answer to that question is like a resounding yes. And that's basically like those are the most important things. So that's what we look for in products is we're really focused. I think it's easy for a science company to get sucked into the nitty gritty of the science, um, and, and we are we're obsessed with it, but. I think you can do that and lose sight of kind of like what you're actually building a product for, which is consumers and making sure that like that they are, are really benefiting from the product more than just kind of like um, the, the, the nitty gritty details. Yeah. I think that the two things that jump out at me there, one is like the relation between science and entrepreneurship, right? Like you hear all the, all the time in entrepreneurship, like testing and like validating ideas and hypotheses and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny to see you like perform the scientific version of that and then have to go again, do that on the, um, you know, actually, actually the business side. And the other is kind of what you said around consumers, right? Like sometimes the science, like, of course the science matters. Cause that's like the efficacy of what you're building and does it actually work but 
if the consumer doesn't perceive that it works or the consumer doesn't feel good about the way it makes them feel, it almost doesn't matter, right? So these are two like interesting problems to solve um, and 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 having that like approach where you're like doing real science where it's like if it works it works and then going to going to sell them to consumers who aren't always rational actors and you're performing a different sort of science experiment so that's totally. that's uh really really interesting to kind of explore and then so now that you've actually validated um not only that it works in the lab and the consumer interest what are the first moves in terms of starting to um sell your product like what 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 is the next step and like where do you go from um you know having validated both sides of that to actually starting to push product where like what channels are you selling like where are you building your website like how is all of this coming together yeah 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 and sorry just build on what you said there like you know it's exactly that, right? That like the science, I think as a scientist, it's hard for me to get out of the, or get the perspective that like the science is necessary, like the biology is necessary, but it's not sufficient like to, 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 for a consumer product, right? Like it, it has to be there. The product has to work, but, but it, you have to do more than that and, uh, and really understand how customers can engage with it and, and what they're going to expect. And if you're meeting their expectations and, and those sorts of things. And so, so it was like getting as a scientist, getting out of just like, but the data, like, look at the data, you know, it's like they Scientists there, you know, consumers don't really care about that as much. And so really focusing on like, like, you know, moving past that, like, like having that, but then moving beyond that, I should say. Um, but yeah, so how do we sell the product basically? Um, you know, I, it, it's along these same lines. It's like, how do you convince them? Right. Like we're in a category of, of snake oil, right? Like there's so much out there that is just the same vitamins and like random kind of herbs and plant extracts that like are swept into a bottle and like in marketed. Right. And, and, and the vast majority of consumers, um, you know, in this, in, in this space of people really the vast majority of consumers, are people who drink alcohol, don't take any product for this purpose. Right. Because they just assume that they're all garbage and, and they're correct. Right. That, that everything else is, like really not there's not a lot of science behind it and it doesn't provide a lot of benefit and i often i mean all these things are just sort of like random kind of natural things swept off into a bottle i always joke that if like if if that existed in nature if something existed in nature that made you feel better the day after drinking we would have found it like you know sometime before you know in the six thousand years of human history that we've intentionally been drinking alcohol that like you know you know, milk thistle would have been already discovered. Like we wouldn't be like figuring that out now. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had to use science to build something new. And, and so I think that our challenge is really in, in convincing consumers that we have something different that's based in science that's new and beneficial. Um, and, uh, and so our, our, how we sell that, it really goes into figuring out a way to tell that story in a way that's like concise and clear and quick and understandable, but is not fluffy and like, you know, and, and, and doesn't undercut our credibility. And, you know, so, so that's a really hard balance to strike. There's a lot of customer education that's going to, I mean, we have this cutting edge technology, the world's only genetically engineered probiotic, which just means nothing to a consumer, but it's like, you know, it's like, there's so much technology baked into that, right. That I wish I could like, I wish I could convey all the time. And so trying to find ways to to kind of quickly convey the science and the credibility and, and our differentiation from, you know, the rest of the stuff out there. And so that necessitates, that's why direct to consumer is really like a great channel for us early on, right? Like if you were to walk into a grocery store and you'd see our product on the shelf next to the other kind of random supplements and stuff like at the checkout aisle or whatever, you would probably just blow right by it. Like, why would you even bother? You would assume it was the same as the, all the other kind of gas station garbage out there. Um, and so having a website where we can tell our story a little bit more, we can convey who we are, we can show sort of like, 
pictures of, of lifestyle of people who are like you that like clearly benefit from this product and, and, and those sorts of things. I mean, I think that that's the necessity. So really like the two main hurdles we have to overcome are like people understanding how the product works. Like the science is absolutely necessary um, for people to kind of buy in, um, but it's not sufficient. Uh, and then the second hurdle is like, okay, fine. I believe you based on the way you're describing this, that this product is something that could work. Um, I don't think I need it. It's like this other sort of like psychological barrier we have to overcome where people assume that, like this product is for like, you know, people who are really irresponsible or like binge drink or whatever. And, and sort of convincing people that like, that's not like this product isn't for that. And it's not, you know, that's not how it was designed. And it's for people who actually, you know, are invested in their health and well being and, and are willing to kind of like, and, and care about their next morning. And um, so just trying to get people to kind of like understand those two things. And so I think we kind of have to get those two elements of the story told um, as quickly as possible to consumers. So direct to consumer is, is a good way, but things like podcasts and, um, and uh, you know, affiliates and influencers and referral where, where we get an opportunity to kind of like have a little bit of storytelling and, uh, along with a little bit of a, of a sort of like an endorsement, I think is always like the best way for us to sell. So Zach, one of the things I'm fascinated about is like learning from other industries that one might not have a clue about, right? Like as a scientist going into marketing for the first time, you know, in DDC, there's a lot of marketers learning from marketers and, you know, that doesn't lead to a whole bunch of innovation, um, just the same stuff recycled over and over and over. But, totally. you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. And that's when, you know, I, I imagine when you said that you surveyed your customers saying, how did you feel better than expected? I imagine your team saying, but Zach, the Shopify plugin only has one or five stars. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. like how, how has, how has your, you know, your, your science brain been applied to, to marketing, to other areas of the business, and, and how has that helped you, I guess, you know, do things differently? How, how have you approached that? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And um, I think that, like, it, it works in both directions. Like, you know, I have, uh, you know, insights into, like, how I really feel like we should be marketing this product and what our opportunities are and what the differences are. But at the same time, I think that there's, like, obviously, like, this vast world uh, of like expertise and playbook that I'm totally ignorant to that, you know, I'm grateful for. So it's sort of striking that right balance, right? Like, yeah, exactly. When, when my co-founder and I first kind of went out and we're like looking to kind of build a brand and stuff, uh, you know, we go to an agency and they just all gave us this cookie cutter crap, basically. Like it just looked like everything else out there. Like what's hot right now is very trendy. And like, you know, and, and it, it served to do the opposite of what we wanted rather than differentiate us. It made us look like everything else. And so like, you know, um, we were, you know, at first, like, I guess that's how you do it. But then, you know, we realized that like, that's not, you know, that's how you do it. If you do have something that's not different from anything else, you want to blend in and, and be in the mix and kind of ride on the coattails of other products that kind of already have momentum. But if you're trying to differentiate yourself, you have to move out of that. So we had to push hard, like, and we went through several different kind of branding exercises and agencies to kind of get to a place where people understood what we were trying to do and really built something that was specific to us. Um, but still like folded in all the best practices and, and things that, that make sense at work. And so like one of the things that I think is really interesting as an example of this is like, as a scientist, uh, I was really convinced, um, and, and this may sound naive, but I, I don't, I don't think it is, um, is, uh, really convinced that if we leaned heavily into the fact that the product is genetically engineered, um, that that would actually be a huge advantage to us. Um, I think a lot of people kind of give us an early, like the knee jerk response early on is like, oh, well, don't tell people it's GMO. They don't like GMOs. Um, and it's like, you know, and, and my contention was that most people probably don't care 
um, or, or really know very much about GMOs. And they think that they're not supposed to like them, but they don't really know why. And so they just don't. Uh, and that's understandable, right? Because if you walk into a store and you basically are looking at like non-GMO corn or GMO corn, you're like, well, I don't really know why it's bad for me, but like there's no benefit for me eating the GMO corn. So why would I? I'll, I'll take the non-GMO. And, and, you know, and there's all these like kind of um, – uh, surveys that people have done of consumers like with these loaded questions like would you prefer a non-GMO product and it's like well yes like everybody will say yes to that because whether you know anything about genetic engineering or have any opinion whatsoever on it you'll be like yeah I guess probably and you know and so my contention was though that if if we sort of like removed that right if we and we ask and you ask people non-biased questions that you know and there actually are research studies that show this that um that that uh, about 80% of people either have a very mild aversion or no aversion at all uh, to genetic engineering. So it's really actually just a, a, like one in five people who's like strongly averse. Um, and then so so for the rest of uh, the population, it's great. Um, we can we can market to them, and basically if we provide them with a product and we are super transparent and and um, about it being GMO right out of the gate, um, and we explain why it's been genetically engineered and that the reason the product and it provides you some benefit and the reason that that benefit exists is because we genetically engineered it. So that the genetic engineering is creating a benefit for you, the end user, um, as opposed to something else in the supply chain that you don't actually get it, you don't actually get any benefit from. That then it turns from not a liability but an asset because now we actually are validating our technology and the product by saying like, hey, it's genetically engineered. And whether or not you have any opinion about genetic engineering, you probably like you know, know about it because you have some opinion or like you at least believe that it does something, right? And so like so we're we're kind of getting and what I think is sort of like the genius around that is that um at the end of the day, that creates a marketing position that we can own that others can't copy because we have a GMO probiotic and nobody else does. So even if uh, everybody sees it like this is a really successful marketing campaign and it has been like our one of our best performing ads on Facebook is like um, a, a, on our bottle, every bottle says proudly GMO and we have like a blow up of that and like it says like proudly GMO and you know, and it's a very provocative ad and so people click on it and, and it's a very good. Um, and, and so anybody sees that and they're like, oh, that's really working. They can't do it because they don't have a GMO probiotic. So we're actually creating this like this marketing moat by leaning into our technology. And I think that that was like, an insight that I had to fight really hard for with our marketing agencies to say like this is something that I think is going to work um, and, and you know and, and I, I think there was a lot of data kind of behind that and, and that was kind of like obviously my bias as a scientist but like leaning into that so that's sort of like an example of us just like bringing our own perspective to the table about like what we know um, about our product and our differentiator um, that really kind of forcing marketing um, agencies and brain agencies like out of their comfort zones and, and vice versa they, they do the same to us and so I have to be open to that and I was too precious early on as a scientist but then like realizing that we can sort of like stretch out as well I think that's such a big lesson for you know people see full service marketing agency yeah. and you just think it's completely hands-off and right you know not not from that experience you're you're not like oh you know why am i paying these people uh, i'm just gonna do it myself but instead it's like oh this is gonna be a collaboration where i'm the one with the insights um and i'm gonna stay you know heavily involved because um now i can see that i can also bring value to the table by by thinking outside of the box and so i think you know it doesn't have to be so black or white um when it comes to working with agencies or doing it yourself or or doing it in-house or anything like that it's just making sure that you're paying attention to the right things and the right information is getting across and you know if you feel really strongly about something that 
you know, your agency might disagree with their marketing experts, but um, it's worth I mean, it's it's worth testing it, right? Like yeah. you were A-B testing your products themselves. And so marketing, it's all the same principles, really. You're just trying to test um, something into the market and test people's interests and what makes them tick. Yeah, exactly. I think that like, I mean, the, the best, ba- I think the thing we've learned is that like balance is really critical, right? That like the best balance is where you, like you trust yourself that you are the expert at your product, right? Like, you know, is more than any agency does about like your product, your differentiators, like what, like you're the one ideally, if by the time you're going to a branding agency, you're the one who's spoken to thousands of, of beta testers and, and learned what they've had to say, right? Like, you know, we handed out almost 10,000 samples before we ever launched, right? And we, we like by hand, I mean, like I literally went like out to events and things and handed them out, my co-founder and I, and we, you know, we're the ones who learned what everybody had to say. Um, and so like, you have to trust that you know that um, and, and you have to push hard on, on those insights. But then at the same time, you also have to trust that like a marketing agency has a ton of expertise um, when it comes to like brand positioning and launching within like when you give them that ammunition. So I think that like those are the, like striking that balance is, is really like uh, how you build a brand that's true, both true to you and like set up for kind of general success. Zach, so after, um, you know, after you kind of have seeded some product, like you said, you the first like 10,000 bottles or whatever, you're like getting it out in the hands of people, you're getting the feedback, you're iterating, et cetera. So after that, what, what were the next, um, important phases and challenges that you face in terms of like really getting uh continuing selling through to market and upping your um your shipping velocity and everything like that yeah absolutely i mean so and i'll say this that like the first ten thousand we handed out were definitely not bottles uh they were like sketchy plastic tubes and stuff you know like uh i'm amazed in hindsight that we were able to kind of hand out beta samples the way we did but um uh yeah we i i mean basically it was figuring out once we had this product, I mean, it was hard because we didn't, well, we had a lot of like, you know, tester feedback and like people saying kind of value props stuff. We didn't have any information on um, what a cut, like that's very different than a customer, right? Somebody gets a free sample. So like we didn't really have a lot of like kind of like customer data or really any customer data. And we didn't really know how people were going to respond and how to set up our store, you know, our online store and all that kind of stuff. And so we had trouble kind of deciding what our initial brand was going to be and what it was going to look like. And so, you know, we um, ended up deciding to just go with something that was like true to us and kind of was very explanatory and we we're a science company. So we just, we were really trying to make it very clear how the product worked and really made it product focused as opposed to customer focused because we didn't know who our customers were going to be. Um, and so that was like kind of a, you know, we were really anxious about that, but we got the advice over and over again that you got to just start with something and then you can iterate and improve from there. Um, and so we did. Um, and then uh, we launched and I think we made some really good decisions and that was probably just subconsciously mo- uh, uh, influenced by all the conversations we'd had with with probably people who ended up being our customers. Um, we also actually, one of the best things we did was about a year before we launched, um, we did an Indiegogo campaign uh, where we just, um, you know, like basically like did a, crowdfunding campaign where we test and we basically tested out branding and messaging and we learned in that campaign i mean we learned that campaign everything that wouldn't work uh which was great like uh because we had this idea of what we're gonna go to market with and then um it it was like it just really didn't resonate and so we went back to the drawing board and it was super helpful and then like you know at our our second swing uh was much better than our first and so when our actual product launched and then we had to figure out 
one of the hardest things for us was was came up earlier was manufacturing um manufacturing a a live probiotic bacteria that was a unique um, proprietary strain was super difficult to find somebody uh, to do the fermentation for us um, at the scale we needed which is relatively small scale and and then finding a bottling partner because we wanted it to be a super small so it's a half ounce um, so that's a, a quarter of the volume of a five-hour energy it's a very small like liquid shot um, and trying to find somebody who could work with that small container to fill the bottles um, and all that kind of thing. So we didn't want anything too big. We wanted something that was super user-friendly and super portable. Um, and so having all those things made it really hard. But, you know, finally, like, scouring the world of options, we were able to find, like, one provider of each. And so we, we strung those together. We launched with that. And then, um, of course, one of our fermentation partners pulled out on us during COVID. And so we had to find another one. And that was, you know, finding another needle in the haystack. But we did. And so now that we have some volume and momentum, it's it gets just a little bit easier each time to find somebody who's willing to work with us. And, um, uh, but yeah, I mean that, that was just, I mean, my, my co-founder and I, we had like a spreadsheet of literally 160 different fermentation providers around the world, um, who could potentially do this and like just on the phone with every single one of them, uh, trying to see if we could get somebody to do it. And that was a huge challenge that we had to kind of get it overcome. I couldn't imagine that's that sounds like an amazing journey and it sounds like you guys are now you know on liftoff mode and so I saw on your website you have a hundred wait what is it uh, 150,000 plus better mornings so where where is um you know where's Zbiotics today uh where what kind of volume um are you what is 150,000 better mornings uh means yeah, yeah. I, well, I think that was like our, our clever way of saying like just how many bottles we've sold or whatever. But it's it's way more than that now. And um, you know, we've we um, yeah, it's been it's been great, honestly. Like we had supply chain issues during COVID, and then we sort of like so we turned off all of our acquisition, and we kind of were like coasting on our, on our existing customers, we were able to stretch out our inventory and tr- make sure that we didn't lose them. Um, but we didn't really get a lot of new customers in during that time. And then basically, we when we got all the um, supply chain stuff sorted and then we turned acquisition back on it was sort of it, you know right around the beginning of the summer in 2021 and everything just totally took off um it was crazy and so like the last six months of 2021 was amazing um we saw like 20 percent month over month growth and um and then now 2022 has just been going you know along the same trajectory just really really well and so um you know we're at the point now where we had the supply chain that we thought would be sufficient and realize it's not and so now we're like you know luckily let's say it's just a little bit easier as you're kind of trying to scale up to find somebody um and so we're switching to a bottler with bigger capacity hopefully and then um we're gonna you know we have our fermentation we just doubled our capacity there and so so just really working on kind of expanding supply chain to meet the demand and um it's great i mean like it's it's really starting to take off and um that feels good given all that kind of like hard work and and effort it took to kind of launch the product and then when it was on the market kind of figuring figuring all these logistical issues and everything but um the, cust- the thing that I think has been the most satisfying is that no matter how many customers we get like to date so far in the last like two and a half years, it is still that people are always happy with the product. And I think like as a scientist, and as the inventor of the product, like that's that's what like really makes me feel the best is that like we created something that people actually like um, and they and, and it actually helps them and they and they, they care about it um, and they're super sort of like loyal to the to the to the product. Um, and then now it's just a matter of us figuring out the playbook of getting people in the door and all the, all the DDC stuff, right? Like we got to figure that out. But, um, but the good news is once they come in, uh, we usually can retain them really well because we have a great product based in like really great science. 
So tying ends here, uh, from the very beginning, you mentioned, you know, you worked backwards from the grand vision that you always had of the product. So are, are you getting there? Is the, is the, would you say your product vision is fully realized or is there, is there something coming up next for, for Z-Biotics and, and what is that if so? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like we're, or the, the vision for Z-Biotics is really like we're building a new category, right? Of genetically engineered probiotics. And so this first product is just the first one, right? Just the proof of concept to show people, they give people sort of a visceral readout of efficacy for this technology, but there's all kinds of things we're doing. So, um, you know, we have a team of scientists and we're building new products, um, that we're hoping to launch and they're going to be in all different kind of use cases and benefits, not you know, we're not focused on, on alcohol or, or drinking at all. Um, so our next product has nothing to do with that. And, um, and uh, yeah, we're looking to establish that while also kind of building consumer trust in a category. Um, and so it's beyond just kind of like having a great product. It's also like all of our messaging around, like that's part of the reason why we're so forward about the technology and genetic engineering is that like it's building a groundwork so that people will see this and recognize that other products made with the same technology are also valuable. Um, and so we also establish relationships with other companies that are making genetically engineered probiotics um, and working with them as not meeting them as competitors is a huge wide open space. And these are people we want to collaborate with and make sure that we're all kind of following the same ethos in terms of transparency and, and responsibility when we're in the way we do genetic engineering and, and making sure that we're all kind of playing by, by, by the right rules and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, it's really kind of like, I envision a future where this is a huge category. Like when people walk into a grocery store and they look for like, uh, that all probiotics are genetically engineered because they actually provide you with a tangible benefit. Um, even if that benefit is the same as what a probiotic used to do, but now it's engineered to do that specifically and do it well. Um, and so that's, that's the vision. I, I, uh, that's the future I envision. Um, and I think that like, we're, we're going to get there and, and ideally Zbiotics is sort of like, you know, viewed as a, a leader in that space. Um, uh, we were certainly the first one in the space and hopefully we kind of maintain that credibility, but like, that's, that's the, the future we're trying to build. It feels like, you know, it feels like people are getting it, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, the rewiring in the brain that you have to do of the consumer behavior. And it's like twice as hard because they've been told the wrong things and so it's not just educating is re-educating them on a principle that you know isn't necessarily this one thing and it's one way only um when it comes to genetic genetically um modifying but um you know you sit in a great place i would you know you sit in a great place in in which you're not just another one in the space um you're a category leader you're a category uh creator and and I'm personally um, really stoked to have had this conversation. I thought all the science would go way above my head, but I think we, we were able to keep up. Um, so, um, yeah, Blaine, I know you had something to say. Yeah, man. I, Zach, really appreciate you coming on, sharing all that um, all that knowledge with us. Like like Ramon mentioned, I think it was actually really fun to get into the some of the science behind this and understand like what goes into creating a new platform and a category like you guys are doing. Um, so I guess my last question would just be for our listeners um, and anyone trying to learn more about Zbiotics or connect with you personally. Um, what are the best ways to do it? Where can they find you guys on social or um, Twitter, like what, LinkedIn? Where where are you? Yeah, yeah, we're on, uh, I'd say, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, we have TikTok. Uh, just trying to build that up. So those are those are kind of the, the platforms. I mean, honestly, the best place to get 
information about the product and about our technology. We go into the most detail on our website, which is zbiotics.com. Um, and if you have questions, we, you know, I usually end up answering most of the science questions. So if you ever want to dig into the science or anything, info at zbiotics.com is a great, uh, is a, is sort of a, yeah, you know, email address and, and any questions, um, will be answered there and probably be forwarded to me to answer if, if they're, if they're anything to do with the science and more than happy to dig in, um, you know, get lots of, lots of questions from people on the internet about like, what about this? And it's like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's talk about that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, man, really appreciate you having, having you on today um, and look forward to keeping up with the story as you guys continue to build. Thank totally. you, Zach. Yeah, thank you guys both so much. It was great chatting with you.